welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Knock on podcast. I never know the number. Every time I say it, I get it wrong, so I'm not even going to say it. But it's 2020. It's a big year for a lot of reasons. One, it's an Olympic year. So I thought, especially with now, School of Knock's going to kick off its new season this weekend. So with that training and mindset, et cetera, et cetera, I thought I had to get my buddy, Brendan Joseph Hansen olympic gold medalist olympic so you're like are you are you running uh u.s swimming now or are you just are you just like the official face for the tv no i'm uh i do i do a lot with usa swimming now but i um this is the year that most people um tag on with like nbc and whatnot so we do a lot of stuff with with tv man it's it's a big year for us obviously our you know usa swimming goes crazy um every four years because we're the number one watch sport in the summer olympics so it's a big deal dude you so you've got let's see you've got how many you've got six olympic medals right yep yeah you've got like 25 total world or olympic medals and dude you just got I forgot about that. You just got inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame? Yeah. Oh, bam. Um, Dude. It's, it's weird, man. Like, that when you – I don't really know how to, to describe, like, when people are like, hey, man, congratulations, you made it into the Hall of Fame. But it's funny, and, and you know me pretty well. Like, I don't – it's not something you set out to do when you go after and, and, like, try to be an elite athlete and chase and try to be number one in the world and stuff like that. So – yeah, I kind of have like mixed feelings about being inducted in the Hall of Fame because the party is like, wow, that door is really being shut hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that competitive part of your life. And then the other side of it's like, man, I feel really old. Like, you know, but um, what an honor, man. It's probably one of the highest honors you can get um, as a swimmer. Um, and so we'll, my wife and I will go to Florida uh, the end of April and, um, yeah say a speech thank a lot of people and um get a you know bronze plaque put up so it's pretty cool stuff man yeah so many people think that and i mean there are i guess there are athletes that that do this but they there's people that just focus on like the possessions and the positions but the truth is there's a certain type of athlete that just loves like loves the routine of training and challenge you know that it's it's like that's almost a byproduct for me if i you know if i if i ever won anything it was just a byproduct of of commitment it wasn't like something that m- made or 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 broke my you know i guess my my personal opinion on like what it was i was going after I just liked I just liked to continually grow at something. It didn't have to be a win. And there's some people that just have to win all the time, right? But there's there's also people that just love the the process of it all. And from what I know about you, you know, 
you're constantly tackling tasks. So I feel like that's you as well. Yeah, well, it's like when you and I talked earlier today was, hey, man, what's going on? I'm like, I found a fire hose and I'm drinking from it, right? Like, it's, <laughs> yep. a, it's a lifestyle, and we, you see that. And, and what I find myself doing is attaching myself to people that kind of like that lifestyle, live that lifestyle, and, and can, can relate to it. Um, I think, you know, what's, what's amazing to me, John, like looking back on a, a part of my life that ended, and then it was an extremely hard transition coming out of that into the rest of the world, but, like, I thought I would look back at the perspective of medals and awards and things of that nature, but really and truly, like, and I think you can probably relate to this, is, like, defining what the real win was. Like, sure, I won a lot of races and a lot of really important events and things like that, but, like, what I what I laugh about the most and, and like, look back and remember as it's something that was, like, really valuable to me was, like, the 20 minutes we I would mess around with my teammates before we get in for practice or you know, like stuck in Frankfurt, Germany on the way to an international world cup, you know, and like, you're just, you're, you're messing in the, around in the terminal or something like those to me are, are like, when I look back on it as like, was the real reward. Like I, I had a lot of fun with a lot of really cool people and, and like, that's the kind of stuff that I look back on. It's kind of like hunting, right? Like you can see a mount on the wall and you can see this big buck and you can look back and be like, man, that was such an awesome hunt or whatever. But then all of a sudden the story goes back to like something that happened in camp. Right. And like how everybody, uh, was, was, was joking with one guy or somebody slept in or whatever it is. Like, it's funny how your perspective can change, um, when you are so far removed from that situation. And a lot of people outside looking in are like, man, you won all these medals and all that kind of stuff where you shot that big buck. But man, I, I think looking back on it, my perspective is like, it's all about who you hang out with the, you know, the people that you spend time with and, and the experience. And I've just found myself gravitated to people that, like you said, man, just want to live life to the fullest and, and, and attack every day. Like it's your last man. One of the things that people really, really miss out with if they're not involved with team activities is you just get exposed to so many types of coaches. That's one of the things that I really liked about um, – well, I, I remember Harry had this soccer coach that ended up benching him for I think his freshman year. And I, I went up to him after like four or five games of Harry being benched. And I went up to this guy and he was like in his early 20s. And I said, can I ask you why you're benching Harry? And he said, well, I want soccer players. I don't, you know, Harry's distracted with swimming practice and with cross country you know, he, he's literally playing soccer three months, three to four months out of the year, but then, then he's swimming and then he's doing cross country. And I just, I looked at the guy and I said, dude, I've never heard of a coach that wanted a player and not an athlete. I'm like, yeah, I've, I've encouraged my son to be an athlete in a diversity of sports. I said, so he can experience a diversity of coaches. And I said, you know, and teammates, you know, because that's freaking so like your growth as a human being is so much better. I'm so thankful for the amount of coaches that I was exposed to. And during my sophomore, junior and senior year, I went to every single 
type of like football camp that I could possibly find, even if it was a one-day camp or whatever, and I would just show up at schools that weren't even mine, and I would just kind of be the only guy from my school at these camps. But it was just like being around a magnitude of coaches, one, you know, you're going to pick up a nugget from everybody. You know, if you're open-minded, you're going to pick up a nugget from everybody that you can learn from. But two, when you get a a shitty coach like the guy I just talked about was, you also really start to appreciate the ones that when they're talking, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, everybody quiet. This is important. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, look, dude, nothing nothing drives me crazier than somebody coming up to me being saying, uh, man, I'll tell you, my, my 10-year-old, I'm telling you, they're going to make the Olympics. And I just look at them and I am go, nobody makes the Olympics at 10 years old, man. Like, <laughs> it, it's so hard. To, like, And then they, like, look deflated. And I'm just and, – and, look, I, I live in the state of Texas. And in, in the sporting world here, it's, it's Super specialized athletes. early. and yeah. yeah, and it's like – you got kids getting Tommy John surgery at the age of like 14 because they've been throwing the baseball as hard as they have for that long. And it's just, I struggle with it for the same reasons that you do because you just, there's just no need for it. And and I think sport at that young age is, is, is about the experience and learning how to communicate with people on how to, and, and, you know, explore what you're good at and how to be good and how to get better and, and like learn the process. Right. And the best coaches are out there teaching kids under the age of 14 how to be coachable right like how do you how do you learn from failure and get better in those things like it has nothing to do with what they're doing and it's almost like i think it's a curse somewhat to some extent to be really really good at a sport at a young age oh yeah because yep because you end up just like a lot of times it's because let's just say you know little johnny's you know, grew faster than everybody else. So he's six, he's six foot two at in sixth grade. And all of a sudden he's the best basketball player on the team, but he doesn't know why it just, he just happened to grow sooner. Right. Like there's just so many variables that are uncontrolled, but I think sport at a young age needs to be more around just understanding how to, you know, how to, how to interact with people and how to, how to become successful. Right. Like how do you, how do you go from, how do you handle a failure? How do you, how do you handle losing? And then how do you, how do you figure out to win? I think that's all important, man. But oh yeah, it was, it's, it's crazy. When I put when I really recommended Harry going to swimming, it was because I knew like wrestling practice and swimming practice, at least from my observation of going through school, were the two toughest practices. Like they were they were the longest hours and the most commitment at you know different capacities, but from just a pure exhaustion standpoint like they were demanding and i remember telling harry's coach who was a who was and is a great coach uh i just said i just like the fact that harry knows he has to get in the pool every day like i you know i'm not coming we're not expecting to come here and see harry win swimming races but like what he's learning to just you know get up when other people aren't up and stay longer and other people are staying and you know be able to just you know get in that pool and just do it and do it and do it it's like what he learned from that 
is the exact same thing that he has to apply right now as he's you know as he's starting to to do some of his you know latter year college stuff where it takes commitment to just to just grind in the books and i can promise you the people around him that aren't doing good and the people that are starting to fall out of school in these last few years it's just because they haven't had to experience that in some capacity or another and if you're going to grow as a human you have to you have to experience that at some point and you have to be able to you have to be able to to know that it's it's not going to kill you to do it you know at, at at some point you you come out of it and you you realize it actually it gives you such an advantage if you do you know if you if you can just deal with it for the for the short term the long term is you just come out so much further ahead well that's <laughs> what we're seeing right now across all all sports because that's the conversation we hear at the Olympic training center all the time is how are these athletes getting better i mean a lot of that is based off of recovery like we're understanding how to recover more mm-hmm. but we're under, we're also understanding like we're getting a certain athlete now um, uh, when they get onto the, the the junior national and national stage, and this is across all sports, but where diversity, like diversity in in in, in their um, of like physical growth, like what we're finding is under the age of fifteen, if you're not um, building your like your aerobic and anaerobic capacities, like understanding what th- how to get to your threshold and stay there, it's extremely harder as you get older. Um, and an older would be like in your twenties, right? Like yeah. you're, you're outside of outside of college, or you're you're competing in college in that standpoint. But and that's where that's where I struggle with the the specialization of an of an athlete under the age of fifteen because you don't get that diversity, right? Like where where Harry did, right? So he was playing soccer, he was um, you know he's running and then he was swimming and doing all that stuff. Like he was able to like understand, like man, my heart's beating, I'm going hard, I'm working hard, like. They're hitting that threshold. They understand what heart rate is and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, it's it's really allowed him to kind of pick and choose what he wants to do now and be successful at it, right? Yeah, and like you, also see, you also see these very distinct times where he naturally hits something in his, you know, in his genetic cycle to where he hits a next level, not because of training, but just because of time. This last summer, that was super, super clear to Sharon and I. It's all sudden like he just started doing these runs, and then it got to the point where I was going, I was going with him riding my bike on these runs, and you could just see he like hit it. He just hit a different gear in life to where his body was just was bigger and more capable than it was like you know. It's almost like he came out of winter and his body's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna just like hit another stage in our ability to to run distance. And as an archer, that same sort of thing happens. Um, I just feel like I feel like the hardest part about archery, and maybe I would assume it's probably very similar to the, to this in golf, is I actually feel like you're capable of hitting your your peak at a later time because your mindset around what's going on just you start to like refine your focus of what you know really matters and what you know 
um, is important in regards to training and efficiency. And then you also just get to the point where there's like this fine line between you're fully developed and you're strong in a different kind of way, but you also haven't hit the age where you have a natural decline in certain things that you just can't help like vision, you know, like in archery, as soon as someone hits the part where they can't see as well, that's a major problem. But up until that point, you can have an archer that's 44 years old and is just an absolute, you know, killer. But then as soon as they struggle to see, it goes away. But it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be 18 to 23 to be at your peak. And sometimes, you know, you look at you look at some, some of the ball players that are on the field and you look at these guys that are like true veterans and you just realize they're just so smart about how they attack their training and how they attack their prep work. And the result is... You know, it's almost surprising because there may be people around them working harder, working better, but they've they've refined their instruction from the coaches and they've refined their, you know, they've probably refined their rest and their recuperation time a lot more too. Well, that this goes back to why I got drawn to to your whole system, right? Like. It resonated, and I think it's why it resonates so well with a lot of professional athletes and why so many people come to you for help in this world. Like, it's a hobby of mine to go out and hunt, right? Like, it's a it's an escape away from um, my daily grind and everything to get, to get up early in the morning before the sun comes up and go shoot, you know, 20 to 30 arrows before my kids get up and my, my real day starts. Um, but when I, when I started listening to your podcast, and this is well before you and I, talked or became friends and all that kind of stuff it was like what I was drawn to with this the school of knock and everything that you have with your releases was how in line and linear it was with the same way I approached professional you know my professional athlete career like it was just like okay focus on the process you're gonna have good days you're gonna have bad days you know and and I think um I was it. I I think the maturity aspect of that in your system is important to where like I can understand like why that arrow hit a certain spot or why that, you know, why it's doing that. And, and once you start to really commit to the process and like start to pay attention to, Hey, here's, here's the outcome and, and, and how it's going to play out. I think that's the, that's the real reward of, of understanding all that stuff. And I've, and I've appreciated that. Right. And I think people are starting to see that obviously as the popularity of the program grows, um, it's, it's 100% made me a better archer there's no doubt i mean i tell you that every time how much the knock to it has changed um my complete approach to, to archery as a whole like that that release in itself um and how how much that's changed just how i how i harvest animals it's crazy um but a lot of that goes back to how you approach it and i think a lot of people um need to a lot of it is is just the patience aspect of it, right? Like when I when I went away from a, a wrist strap release, caliber release, and I started, I can't tell you how many arrows um, just did not do what I wanted to do when I started, and 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 how that I had to understand the shot, the whole shot sequence and the process of it all, and I just committed to it, and I just said, look, it is, it is the middle of April. I I don't have a hunt until 
the, the you know beginning of September where I'm going to go on antelope hunt in Wyoming with my buddies, and I want to make sure that I do everything in my process to make sure that I'm ready for that. And it was like it was a solid three month process for me to to relearn all that and everything. But coming from the professional athlete world, <laughs> where uh, all of that it. I, I, I understood it and I respected it and I you know I kind of journaled about it or I paid attention to it or I talked to my buddies about it and I think um, you, you talk about in the beginning of this is just how important having the right coaches are like I would go back to those those I would you know I'd have a great day and I'd hit you know just kill 30 to 50 arrows I'm like yes that was awesome but then the bad days I'd go back and watch a video and be like oh that's right I'm not let my hand come across over my bicep when I released the, you know, I was just like, okay, like I could always go back to that, that spot and understand that. And I think a lot of people just assume like, oh, that arrow goes where I wanted to one or two times. I'm good. Man, I think from the coaching standpoint, like that, that's how I've, that's how I've gotten to where I am. And I think why you and I are good friends is that like, I've always relied on the process and I've always relied on um, staying focused in that moment from a professional athlete standpoint. And I think the, the, the school of knock thing, man, just is really, it really hit home and it was very linear to the rest of what I, you know, how my brain thought and how I, how I, how I try to get things done and be successful. Right. Yeah. That first, that first series really needed to focus on technique where this year I'm going to focus on people understanding some of the differences between in their gear to where they can, the school is not just about that technique, but also about changing your gear to where you're able to perform better in those events where maybe you're starting to go, you know, you're starting to try your first tournament or you're going to your TAC events and you start to realize, okay, yeah, I'm, I am going to perform, even if I'm shooting good, even if I'm doing like that first school knock year perfectly fine, how am I going to? how am I going to actually perform just based off the limitations of my equipment? Because when you're dealing with mother nature and those, that outside force of, you know, weather and just a lot of different variables to equipment, there's certain limitations to just how well you're going to shoot. Right. It's like, even if let's just say, let's just say someone gave you, um, someone gave you a a long rifle, but all you ever had was iron sights and they taught you how to shoot it right. But then now they're going to start bringing you into, okay, what happens if we tailor the stock to fit you better? What happens if we give you a new optic that magnifies things? What happens if we change different reticles? What happens if we change different powders? What happens if we change different types of actual projectiles? You know, how... Because you can become better even though the, you know, I guess the the machine and the process is technically the same. You can also tweak it and refine it. So that's kind of going to be the, the challenge coming forward. But also when it comes to just, I guess, my way of, of training, I've just condensed things down to where if I if I practice enough to really understand what it takes to make a good shot, it allows me the ability to walk away from it for a longer period of time and come and pick it back up and still be at a level to where it it almost, you almost feel guilty saying like, Oh, I haven't shot in two months. And then, 
you start shooting as well as people that may have been at the range for the last 12 months. But the reality is they're probably overthinking and overanalyzing a lot of things. And so they're not really working on the condensed, efficient things that matter the most. And that's that's what I do when, when I coach. You know, like if I work with people at your shop, I don't, I don't try to tell them 10 things that they can do. I try to, I try to find the two things that I can tell them that's going to make the most impact for them during that time that I'm able to work with them and just really focus in on those rather than talk about 10 things I might see. It's just like, okay, here's the one thing I can tell them right now, or this, here's two things. I'll tell them one thing right now and work on it and I'll show them the second thing and that'll be their homework until I ever see them again. I just feel like as a, I don't know, both as a a student, but also as a coach, those are two things that I think people could just put on a broken record and just keep hearing it and doing it and hearing it and doing it. And they'll be in a really good place if they do. And I think the best coaches out there are the ones that can find those one or two things that ultimately, that ultimately fix like four or five things in your technique. And I felt like that was a lot of my coaches, you know, I get on a, you know, let's say it's Olympic final and I was focused on, on doing making sure that I was executing something the first 20, 30 meters of the race to put myself in position to win. You know, um, Eddie Reese at the University of Texas would do such a good job of saying, like, hey, just focus on looking at where you want to shoot your hands. So I'm swimming in front of 50,000 people. You know, the cameras are 2 billion people behind that. And I'm, all I'm looking at is three feet, in wa- three feet in front of me, two inches under the water, right? And he was like, when I told you to do that, you were thinking about – it was it would fix your body position it would change the height of your kick it would change your stroke rate um your head position would be in line with your spine and i'm like wow all of those things would happen but all you told me to do was look three feet in front of me two inches under the water like well you're consciously within your box like that's what i teach too like you 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 brought all of your attention to to within your own space that you were the only person that had control over and that's such a I mean, I never thought of it in the swimming world, but um, it's so relative to anything, you know. It's like if you're able to to do exactly what you were shown to do, then you know, like like we said, the results are, end up manifesting themselves. But not when you're focusing externally, you know. Then it, it just seems like it never works out that way. Well, the similarities that I see from the swimming world or any, it, it, at least any other sport that I see in the, in the swimming world is, is probably where I have obviously the most knowledge and, and archery is like when you have that perfect release of the arrow and the arrow goes exactly where you want it to and you feel good about every aspect of your shot and how the, the, the whole shot process and everything, that's the same thing as like you get 20 meters into your race and you know you're at you're in the water and you're at an efficiency level to where you are, you are, you're, you're basically, you're killing it, right? Like you're hitting the sweet spot. It's exactly the way you want it to be and you know it. And when you get like that, there's like a momentum aspect to that. And the next 30 strokes that you take in the race are, are almost like, uh, it's almost enjoyable. And you're like, this is awesome. You know, if you can, if you can set it up just right, but that's what practice goes back to, right? Like that's, 
practice was never about times. It was never about like um, the sets or anything like that. It was all about can you repeat the process and, and hit that sweet spot and how long can you stay in that sweet spot? You know, it's like when I go out and and I kind of I go through the whole process of shooting my arrows as I get closer to hunting season. And then this year I did a really good job of of still practicing while hunting season was going on, which I've never done before. You know, and I shot I shot two deer in the in the month of December um, really, really well that I hadn't done in the past. And I think a lot of that was due to the fact that I stayed through the process all through the hunting season something that you recommended to me, you know, before, before the season started. But I think so much of people, when they look at practice, they need to focus on finding that sweet spot, like you said, and then trying to stay there as long as you can. And then it's that just keep trying to push that line, right? Like, yeah, cause it's well, going to go away. Like the first couple, like the first couple of weeks that I'm shooting, it's like that line is, could be right around 20 to 25 arrows. And then my goal is to be, at that spot, that same spot, like thirty to forty arrows, and then kind of increase my endurance, and then yeah, and then you know you, you change it. But I think that's that, there's so so many similarities to that man. I don't think people appreciate that, and I think a lot of a lot of people come into archery, at least from my experience and the people that come through the shop. A lot of people are um, gravitating to it because they you know, that extends their season and they want to start learning it. And it's, it's becoming a very popular, they're seeing it on TV a lot more and on the hunting shows and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm like, look, this is exactly the way you approach any other ball sport or team sport. Like you respect the process, find a coach, get involved, uh, commit to it and, 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 um, you know, get a target and start, start flinging arrows until you, until you start to figure it out. And then to your point, uh, some of the most fun that we see with our customers is like they start to tinker and they start to play with things and they start to build their setups and you see them build momentum and then it all leads to them coming in with a, a trophy from a tournament or a you know a, a buck or a, a harvest you know and it's it's really cool to see them to kind of buy into all of that. How many times did you like manifest um, some type of a major achievement? like during either meditation or even in a dream i it is weird man for me i never did it sleeping like i never did it like where i'd wake up and be like oh yeah i have full clarity of what is going on a lot of times for me you know that like um i mean i know you know this but like the endorphin rush that you get after working out right Mm -hmm. and and you start to understand that i i started to channel my energy and I'd really start to think about, uh, and for me, that was the drive home, right? Like I would, and I, I spent a lot of time training at the University of Texas, and so I would leave and get stuck in Austin traffic. <laughs> I'd, sit <in> my, <laughs> I'd sit in my truck and, I'd, you know, I'd have that endorphin rush and turn on some jams and I'd be listening. But that was the time that I could really start to channel that energy and start to think about what, where I wanted to go with that energy and what I wanted to do with that. And that was kind of where I'd, I started to realize like that's I, I would utilize that in that and and kind of try to channel that, and that's where I usually tend to find out like oh yeah this is doable like I can be number one in the world I could I could break the world record this summer or yeah I'm on you know you you it was never like I could I knew I could do that it was like oh man I could feel, I could sense the momentum of things going that way. Did you ever um, like say? Say when you thought you were getting to that point where you were realizing that was a possibility, did you ever almost daydream about 
who that race would be against or like how tight it would come down to a finish or like what you would have to like like how you would have to dig deep like that last little bit or how exhausted you'd be to finish like did you ever do that stuff and then it ended up like happening oh yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i i every olympic medal that i won i won by less than four tenths of a second or two of them was within two one hundredths of a second um so yes, you 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 start to like I I would go to like the feel of the water, the temperature of the water, like uh, the burn in my legs, like seeing I could I would like I was a very visual person, so I, w- I would like mm-hmm. almost picture like seeing the cameras underwater, seeing the touchpad, seeing where I was at, and um, the tough thing about racing is that you you do have a peripheral vision in your goggles, but you can't really see that much. So there's very much this tunnel vision visualization that you have to where you're, you, you, you can sense your competitor is there, but you don't, um, you can't look you or you're dead. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's like when you're hunting and you're in a tree stand, right. And you, and you can sense the big buck is within a hundred yards of you, but you haven't seen him yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is. And, and, and then like, and that's what I try to explain to people is like, that's why I, I was so drawn to this this lifestyle outside of out of, of, of competition was because uh, I can see there there's so many similarities to it and like look I, I'll tell anyone listening like if you want to know what it feels like to swim in an Olympic final and, and get up there and hear your name and they say you know so and so United States of America and you get up on those blocks and you're like oh crap that is that, that is that is buck fever in a nutshell man <laughs> like it is exactly the same feel your heart is in your throat like you feel it and you're trying to tell yourself like calm down you've been prepared for this just execute like the same things I would say to myself when I would get on the blocks to race against the world and try to win an Olympic medal because you only have one shot and if you screw it up it's over Oh, like yeah. <laughs> you don't get a second chance. Well, guess what? That's the same way you approach going after, you know, chasing a big buck and you build the process and you look at trail cam pictures and you do all that stuff and then you get up there and you uh, and you literally see that buck coming in and you're like, okay, you can see your shot window. You're going to take the shot. It's like, what do you tell yourself? Execute. Like, this is the time. This is what I practice for. Just execute. Like, it is crazy, the similarities in that and not a lot of people i mean obviously not a lot of people get the experience of going into olympic final trying to win an olympic medal but you can if you go find a piece of property and get up in a tree and try and fling some arrows <laughs> well you know what's weird is when people talk to me about um buck fever and stuff like that i remember when i had it i remember younger when i had it but honestly when my shots happen now if I don't know if um if I didn't film my stuff I would have a hard time really explaining what happened cuz I go like I go into this whole just this subconscious zone of just like you're dead. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know how to explain it. It's like once it's I a mode. you yeah. go into a certain mode, right? Yeah. Like it's like stealth mode or like you just go into like I don't like the word killer mode, but like you just go into that mode where you're like, no, but it's true that it, that is, yeah, yeah, that is a way it's like my brain starts. Like if I see a buck and I I've, and the last buck that I shot with my Hoyt was this way, but multiple ones were this way, like throughout the year. Um, it's like, I see them 
And then all of a sudden my brain, like my eyes are looking around and I'm looking at like, what do I have to do to get my bow? Where are the shots going to be? Where's the other animals? Are they looking? What's the wind doing? Like confirm my range, you know, third, third pin. And like, it's, it's almost like my brain just going. And then all of a sudden it's just like, like he he smoked. I've literally seen you in that spot. Remember when you and I hunted pigs together in Texas? No. And we were we got on that piece of property, and we were running around, and like they were like, "Hey, look, this pasture's got a ton of pigs in it, so make sure you guys get the wind right, and then just start walking." And he's like, "There's a ton of them in there," and you're like, "All right, let's go." And I'm like, you know, I'm like, "All right, I'm I'm the novice, and I'm going to pay attention to to you and see how you operate and how you approach it, right?" And all of a sudden, I just see that switch turn on, and it's not a dimmer switch; like it is on <laughs> or off, right? Like, can you yeah. turn on? And I remember. Coming back around, like, we made the loop. I think you shot, like, I don't even know how many pigs you shot, and every single one of them was just, like, boom, and, like, you were just in mode that we're talking about. And then we came back to the truck, and everybody's like, hey, man, what was it like with John? I was like, I, um, it just, he just got, he got, in, he got into mode, dude. He just, like, got into mode, and, like, it's just, like, things just got hit. And, like, they're like, what are you talking about, man? I'm like, I don't know. We got a lot of pigs to pick up. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> but, like, you know, that's, that's, that is a product of I, I firmly believe that's not a pro, that's a product of practice. Yeah, that's a product yep. of committing to the respect of the sport and understanding and having the maturity. Back to your point of just like understanding what you have to do and how you how you want to execute. You know, and I think honestly, of anything, when you talk about equipment, any equipment that has allowed me, and I, I don't want this to be a plug because I know I'm on the knock on podcast, but. The knock to it release, I swear to you, is is what puts me in the mode than anything else. Like when I click that on, there's a process attached to that release. Yep. That 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 for some reason. You've I, said I, that I for a reason. long. You've said that for a long time. You you've yeah, said like every for, single animal animal I've harvested with this thing, and I can't. I'm like, dude, it, it, like I am not successful without this. And I shot a lot of animals with the caliber release. I did, and I made a lot of bad shots too. But it's crazy to me the consistency, which I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to consistency 100%. Like, I, I, but that's how I see this. Ooh, store's open. Yeah. Hey, Sorry. archery country. No, you're good. Um, I can't turn it off. That's okay. We'll just we'll pretend. They're probably calling <laughs> to see when the seminar is, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, no, look, my thing is the knock to it is what, when I get it, when I, when I clip on that knock to it, I go into mode. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I and I go into a process that legitimately puts the percentage in my favor and not not the animal I'm trying to harvest. And that's one thing that high level coaches try to teach too. They try to teach a trigger, right? They, they right, and and I'm talking like a mental trigger of, you know, a certain thing within your routine lets you know that okay, I'm in game mode right now. You know, this yeah. is baseball players have it at the, you know, when they're in the, in the on batter's box. Like yep. I had it when I would tie my suit and put my goggles on. And, and like, as soon as I put my cap on and I'm, I'm in the ready room, like ready to go, like I'm already in mode and I'm not even on the, I'm not even out in front of, you know, the crowd, like every athlete has that. Right. Like, and, and we idolize some of those people and we see them do that, but we don't ever like think, Oh man, I could have that. You know, like, and, and it's something is a hobby of archery, 
but like, I'm telling you, like, if you don't, like, you need to find it and you need to figure that out. And, and that's, that's, that's to me is some of the most enjoyable parts of the process. And we see a lot of our customers come in and once they figure that out and they start to ask the right questions because they either listen to your podcast or they pay attention to things, they start reading materials, they start to really buy into the process. We're like, oh yeah, that's awesome. It's not about like, oh man, they're going to buy more stuff. It's more of like, hey man, this guy, he's he's addicted as we are she's she's starting to figure it out and she's she's excited you know like that's to us that's what it's all about like we yeah. know we're an experience by shop like we yeah. want you to come in and 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 get an experience outside of anything else well through training you'll find your trigger like you can't really it's hard to to kind of put that put that in someone's hand like you have to you have to find your own what what one of the thing one of the reasons I was asking you about like whether or not certain things like manifested was because for the first time ever and I haven't there's only a few of my friends that know this but you know that whole the whole move to PSE was was a very taxing thing for me and you were one of the people that I trusted in in that decision um, but once I made that decision. And literally, I remember the night where I text Pete, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, consider this a handshake, you know, type thing. Um, That night, I literally, in my dream, I had, I've envisioned all the things of what I changed on that bow. And it was based off an Evo 33 that I had set up like much earlier and shot for half of a day. And then all of a sudden it's like my mind knew I made that commitment and it knew what I needed to do. And then all of a sudden I had this dream. I had a dream of screwing those sticks into the riser. And I also remember shooting the bow in this dream. And when I shot it, I saw several of the things that that I that we changed and I literally woke up and I grabbed my phone and I typed it into my notes. And then the next morning, um, I talked to my buddy, uh, Wes about it. And I said like, dude, some of the stuff that, you know, we were talking about yesterday, like I, I had this vision where I, I was shooting it. I was like, I had it and I shot it and I, I could see it. You know, I was, putting this stuff on this way and when I built my bow like when I took it out of my case in my dream and I assembled it I saw it the way that it the way it it is which was like really really strange that my brain just kind of like looked at that as you know this is like a task at hand and it just went through like a pre-programmed motion of you know this is I don't know. It seemed like, you know, this well, it's like man, game think... mode. It's like game on, like games on yeah. now. And so it was, I don't know. It was really, really surreal to, to have I don't know, it that man. way. I think I, first off is I think, I think you're full of crap because I know you and I know you don't sleep enough to have that kind of dream. <laughs> so <laughs> no, no, man, look, all you're describing is the passion, right? Like I think there's an opportunity and you see the passion. And when you talk to me about, the PSE move, I, I, I could hear it in your voice about the excitement of the, the opportunity for impact. 
it had it had nothing to do with brands. It had nothing to do with products. It had everything to do with your ability to service the community of people that you care about and and the passion that you have for that. And I was like, man, when you have that stuff in line and you have the energy that you have behind that, like it's always going to be a win. And don't let the the fear of all that take it away. Like don't let don't the opportunity. And I think I, I, that is the only thing I said to you through that process because I you, mean I've, you said one thing I, to look, me I, that I, really I stuck as out. well yeah but i mean I've, I've stood out in certain situations and like i told you a couple of years ago i was like man i'm gonna go underground for a while because i'm gonna build this company it had nothing to do with athletics or sports or anything that i knew yeah and you were just like dude go for it like you know like surround yourself with people that are gonna that are gonna tell you to just challenge yourself and yeah i remember it, it, it i was, remember um I remember yeah, Tyler kind of saying, Brennan's kind of messing around in, you know, this field. And then you, I think you and I were going to, were we going to your training center to your, yeah. I think we we're going to your pool. And then, um, yeah. yeah, you looked at me and you're like, yeah, I'm getting ready to, I'm getting ready to go like fully underwater on this deal. And I remember looking at you like, hell yeah, man, freaking, I mean, I knew you were going to succeed already. I was just like, this is going to kind of be cool to watch. But you said one thing to me um, at the ATA show that kind of really resonated. And I, I repeated it to a close friend of mine. But I remember you looked at me and you're like, you're going to blow this thing up. And I just said, how do you know? And you just said, because you're scared. <laughs> you yeah. said something like that. And, and I, I kind of like looked at you like, what do you mean? And you're just like, you're like, and from a competitive point of view, sometimes those moments where you, you know, where you like, you're worried about, you're kind of worried about what's, what's going to happen. And, you know, and you feel like you do have a weight on you. Like sometimes that's when you, you overachieve even your own expectations, you know, but it's, it's hard to see as a as the person that's in the situation, but externally, I, f I just feel like you saw something that you've seen at different times of your career in someone else's eyes to where how you said it gave me confidence, like because I could see you weren't lying to me. No, you know, and I and I not. and I trusted you. I kind of looked at you like that doesn't make sense, but then I but then the way you like peered at me back you were telling me like no i'm i'm not saying something to you i'm telling you something like that's kind of the the feeling that i got back from you and then it just it like i went to my room and i thought more about it and i just thought like okay he's he's like seeing something and knowing me well enough to where he he's understanding what's happening maybe better than than what i what i am right now and it was it it really helped. Yeah, well, I mean, that's and to your point, man. You can't sometimes like, and I've been in that situation too, where you throw yourself out there and you're going to do this stuff, and like when you're in the weeds like that and the details, you can't even like I I could never tell my own self that right. Like it needs yeah. to come from an outside <laughs> third party source, and I just. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I think we're cursed a little bit in that world where we 
we thrive really well when we're uncomfortable and yeah. we chase kind of that like uncomfortableness. Um, and I think that's what you and I have a lot in common with, but I think when you see somebody do that, I think that was just, I, I, I could see it, you know, like, cause it was going to be, it is challenging. Right. And, and there was a lot of, I, the controversy is not the word, but there was a lot of buzz. Oh yeah. I've never like, seen I mean, it around, like that around a long that move, time. Around you and all that stuff and everything. And I just wanted to, I was just like, man, like, again, I just felt like your priorities were in check and, and everything was, and you were doing it for the, what I would consider as a shop owner and somebody that is trying to grow archery in Austin, Texas through archery country. Like I could see that your priorities were straight and that you were doing it for the right reasons. And I was like, don't let that one human emotion of being scared think that you're not going to do this. Yeah. Right. And the point, you weren't going to be like, oh man, I'm scared. This is, you know, this, he, whatever. It was more of like that. I, I sense that. I see that. And I totally get it. And I think that's why you built the confidence from it. Look, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big name dropper, but like I was Michael Phelps's roommate when he made the, when he won the eight gold medals in Beijing. Mm -hmm. And I was part of the last, I was, my, one of my gold medals from Beijing is with him. And you could see the same thing. Like as he got closer and closer to doing that, he kept talking about, holy crap, dude, there's potential I could win eight gold medals. And I'm like, you need to win six. Like you need to win number six first before you win number eight. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's very like, true. I was always, yeah, I was like, stop worrying about where you go. Just focus on number six, because if you don't get six, you ain't ever going to get eight. Like, <laughs> and 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 he was, just, I could just say, he was just, I was like, look, man, you are on fire, and you can do this, and just stay in the moment, be a hundred percent present, and you'll crush it. Like I said, the exact same thing to him. And again, I'm not, I'll never toot my own horn. I just, I've always surrounded myself with people that were willing to do those kinds of things, and that's kind of, I think, having been around it so much, I can somewhat identify with it you know you it's know? a hard thing and I look man you did some of I'm, i don't you know you did some of that when i told you i was gonna be going underground and like hey man you may not hear from me for two years while i try to build this business and 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 build it up and stuff like that and you periodically would check in you'd be like hey man you alive you're you know <laughs> like i get this random text message just like hey man you good you know i, I know you're quiet that means you, things are going well just checking in you know like that was just like it was nice to know that you had that support out there when you're grinding and trying to trying to do something big you know yeah it's you're, you're really it seems like you're really good friends you check in when it matters i don't know it's it seems like you're good friends you know what they're doing and you know they're okay but you also have feelings where you know when you need to reach out and you know there's certainly friends i talk to on a daily basis but there's also friends that mean a hell of a lot to me that i know are so freaking busy to where I know I'm going to take, I know if I call them or text them, they're going to answer it. And I know that that time could be very precious to all the shit that they have going at the moment. So it's just like out of respect for them. I talk to them less. Um, and that's what I was going to say. The hard thing to balance. And one of the things that I haven't been able to like read a manuscript on is I hate, like, I don't like missing opportunities. And so like right now, at least at least in my world or knock on's world there's like there's opportunity you know we've kind of hit this gear where there's just there's opportunities coming in and if i know it's something that that i could like do it it's to the point now or i don't 
I need an instruction manual on how to say no to, to like things that, I don't know, I call them, I just call them opportunities. Like it just seems like, oh, I could make that better or I could, you know what, we could totally do that or we could go into this market or, you know, someone's not, someone's not capitalizing on this, we could do it. And at some point, like, where's the manual that says, here's where you draw the line of your, of your attention or your focus it's really really hard because if you're someone who likes training and who likes challenges when you know what you can do with it it seems like there comes a point where when you're in momentum you're in a momentum mode that stuff is like all sticking to the freaking snowball that's rolling down the hill and you're just like at some point you have to i don't know how to I don't know like how to say no to stuff at times and and right now it's come to the point where there's no physical way to be to be able to do it like according to how many how many minutes are on a clock you just can't like I don't know have you figured that part out No and I think you were around when I like I mean one of the biggest mistakes I made when I came out of transitioning out of being a professional athlete and then into the business world was I I went after a lot of things like I spread myself really thin and I think you and I had a couple conversations over that time period where you're like dude what else do you have going on like good <laughs> lord you know I'm still that way I with think, you yeah but I I mean I, I will I will say that I think I've kind of toned that down a little bit. Um, I've had a lot of mentors kind of talk to me like, "Hey, look!" At the end of the day, and I and this is something that what's know, the secret? To, uh, focusing on one thing, right? Like in the race strategy, like focusing on one thing, and you're ultimately doing three other things really well. And I think that is something that everybody that's trying to you're going to get to that point. It's part of the process, I think. And I, what I had to learn was it's like, okay there's an evaluation process that I go through when something comes on my plate because I, I am, I do work people outwork people and I do try to be successful in what I do. And, and I, I tend to go at things a hundred miles an hour. So that kind of separates myself from a lot of people. And it also opens a lot of doors. I've just come to the point where I'm like, I'm, I never want to be a person that wants to do a lot of stuff. Good. I would rather do a couple things really, really great. You know, like yeah. the end all result is going to be there, but just like it goes back to, you know, I, I don't know. I get that realization of like me standing on a block. So like that was my brand. Like I had that lane for that period of time. And I wanted to make sure that people knew that whether I was going to win the race or not, like they were going to remember racing the guy in lane four, like me. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's the one thing that we all have to realize is that when, when you, when you continue to be successful and you start to go in there, like, their, their problems never go away. They just become different. And then more opportunities come up. And I think that, that the part of the process is learning to say yes and no to stuff. And then, like, there's, you know, right now in my position with USA Swimming, there's multiple times where I walk in the, the office at the Olympic Training Center and I sit down and say, what is our mission statement here? We have these things going over. Does it fall under the umbrella of things that we're trying to accomplish in the year 2020? Mm. Because if it doesn't, we're not going to spend any time on it. You know, yeah. and that's just something that I've learned over so many times when, like, I had so many things in the air, and my wife would just pull me aside and be like, look, you are, you're, you're going too hard, and you need to, there's some things that are falling that's not you, and you need to, you need to, you know, clean house in some areas and, and focus on some other things, and so, 
you know, that was a, you know, when you, everybody says don't be afraid to fail and your challenges and stuff like that, I, I straight up fell on my face in a lot of those areas, you know, and had to clean it up. And I think now I have a process that I think fits really well for me to where I can kind of filter things in and out and make sure that they're appropriate for my priorities, my priorities being my family, my business, and, you know, my overall well-being and balance. I had a really good friend of mine tell me a while back, like, when you get into those situations, and again, I'm coming out of baby years of my household, right? I have a seven, five, and a three-year-old. Like, I can almost see the end of diapers, John. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when you come out of that fog, I think a lot of of people listening can, uh, you know, are in that situation. When you come out of that fog, I think that's another area where you have to sit there and say, okay, I got to stay balanced, and I got to be 100% present in what I'm doing at that moment, you know? And I think yeah. that helps you with that process because a lot of times, like, especially when I was having kids, I'd be in the woods because like, I wanted to balance and I wanted to spend time out hunting. And I'd be in the tree stand and all I'd be thinking about is, am I missing, is somebody walking or did I miss somebody do something funny, you know? And I wasn't 100% present hunting, but then I'd come home and then I would be thinking about hunting, right? I, I, like, that's, <laughs> that's that vicious cycle that a lot of people go through. And I think I got really good advice of just like, hey, when you sit on the blocks and race against the world, you are 100% present in that moment. Like, everything else is going to be okay, but just be, and I think that's part of the process of understanding what you need to act on and engage yourself in and the brand or whatever it may be and what you don't, yep. you know? And... I, I, dude, I am a product of, of that huge failure because I, I was in five or six different things and now I'm down to like two and life is really, really good. It's funny how the wives are always the ones that are smart enough to see it and like, you know, at some point dig their heels in and, and like tell you the the stupid truth of your choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I married way up. I think you did too. But, yeah, I, I mean, did. I did. There's no doubt, man. There's that moment where you're like, again, it's a third party coming in. You're never going to look in the mirror, brushing your teeth in the morning, and realize it. It has to come from somebody else that says it to you, because otherwise, you just. If you're lucky enough for to have the right person, the problem is most people out there have this third party that is you know really gives you terrible advice like Sharon and I we watch movies a lot and the one thing that we see in every movie is when a dude listens to his best friend in the movie like the best friend never gives him good advice on you know especially <laughs> when it comes to like a lady they always right. give him the worst advice so but I think there's a lot of people like that I think there's a lot of people that you know, they, they struggle to look for advice and maybe they, you know, it's like this, it's like this with, uh, with people right now on social media, it's so easy for, there's people that are, that are just thriving to have importance in the industry. So that now they're putting out content because they know people want to see content and, you know, especially like educational content. So they're just trying to say something that's different and they're given bad information and there's people out there that want information and they want that feedback. And so that is what they're getting. They're not getting, like, they just don't know. Like, they don't have the friend that gives them good advice. They may not have a wife that gives them good advice or or a brother that gives them good advice. Like, some people just continually get terrible advice. So that's the hard part is you can't say, like, always listen to a third party. 
you need to find the people that you almost need to find the people that you see continually do well and like make make things shine even when they were dull and those are the people where sometimes you just need to be like hey can I ask your opinion on something because those people it's they're almost priceless you know it seems like the ones that do that it, once they've made enough mistakes and they start making the right mistakes they they seem like their information is is just priceless that was one of the reasons why I really wanted your input on you know an outside perspective on that whole choice that I made. And I mean, I, I, I really reached out to other people as well. I reached out to, to Rogan and I reached out to Jocko and I reached out to, to, um, Jeremy at Traeger and, you know, they, those people all were able to really listen to like all the puzzle pieces that were laying out and then make a, a very helpful decision based on what they knew about my personality and my, and my capacity to, to make things happen. Well, that was like when, when I, when we bought the archery shop three years ago and I reached out to you and I was talking to you about how, you know, everything that you were putting out information you were putting out was resonating really well with me. And I wanted to connect you with the people of Austin and, and, and the state of Texas and stuff like that. And, you know, it was funny, like a lot of your advice that you had given me at the time was you came in, you spent a lot of time, you did a meet and greet, you spent way too much time, I mean, just visiting with people, it was awesome, and we had a great meet and greet, right? Like, it was awesome, but I think I was expecting the advice of coming from somebody who's so involved in social media and everything to be like, hey man, you need to get out there and be posting stuff about your shop and everything like that, but I remember sitting in the in the range and you just looking at me saying hey your guys are really good like your techs are really good invest in them and make sure that the experience is consistent and that people see a familiar face when they come in here and like honestly we're three years into this process and i'm just starting to start to feel warm and fuzzy about that like i i feel really good about the guys we have behind the counter and that advice was huge yep you know it wasn't like be like every other shop out there and continue to post a new rig that comes in or somebody famous that walks through the door or whatever it may be. Like I, w- I wanted to make sure that our foundation was so strong that by the time we would get to that point in the process, you know, we start to push stuff throughout through social media and things like that. Like people know that when they come in here, everything else isn't broken, right? Like it's, it's you come in here at archery shop, uh, archery country, you're going to have an experience that's consistent, whether it's a Tuesday in October and you're fixing to go on a November rut hunt or it's, you know, the middle of August and you're fixing to, to rig your stuff out before you go on an elk hunt. Like I, I, I felt really strongly about that. And that was re- like, again, real friends, real advice, sift through it because I can't tell you how many on the other side of the spectrum, my people going out there like, dude, why are you guys not blowing up social media? Like, why are you not advertising like crazy? And I'm like, we're not ready for that, man. Like we're not there, you know, like we can't do that. Like I got to build better relationships with our reps. I got to build better, better relationships with, you know, um, our customer base and, 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 and grow that and then start to focus on events and, and make sure we're making the impact there. Like, and that was coming from people that were, you know, there's a, a few folks in and around Austin that are extremely good in the retail space that Alan and Tyler and I are the owners of Archer country really value their opinion. And, and they were like that they were saying the same things you were to us as a, you know, two to three year owner of the shop so it was and i and i like i said i feel like right now we're we're starting to hit our stride 
Um, we've only grown since we started, and and I, and I think what I'm most proud of, and I'll say this, I don't want to speak for Alan and Tyler too, but I think what we're most proud of is the guys behind the counter and and the experience that people get when they walk in the door. Heck yeah! I mean, people you know? are like people are kind of a reflection of the of the others that they surround themselves with, and when you look at businesses like you know, the people that are in there, they're also a a reflection of you and your leadership. And yeah, when you have a store that has people in there that are well-trained and regardless of who's in there, when someone walks in the door, people feel like they could ask this guy the same question as if that guy was there. That's, um, that's a, a really good reflection of leadership. And, like I told you, you know, the most important investment you can make is making sure that when people come in, they trust any person behind the counter with the same question. And yeah. and I know you guys commit to that. But uh and while we're talking about the shop, we need to talk about we need to tell everybody out there like what's going to happen because there's I haven't posted my schedule yet, but there's getting ready to be this massive there's going to be a whole lot of crap happening for the knock-on community. Um, like my my head's down, and this is going to be this is going to be an, a crazy year where yep. you know I'm gonna I'm gonna like you know it it's gonna it's gonna be awesome. And and one of the things that are going to start that off, um, it's going to start off a little bit before that, but. One of the things that we're going to plan is we're going to have a, a huge store event in Austin at Archery Country on March 14th. This is going to be kind of one of the kickoffs for like a public, well, it'll be the kickoff for, you know, a public event. So, you know, at Archery Country on the 14th, we've got Black Rifles rolling in with the LVT. Um, so the Black Rifle crew is going to be there. Uh, Yeti's going to be there. There's going to be some Yeti prizes for for people for some of the first people that show up. Chad Ward is flying in as the official pitmaster. Um, we're gonna we're actually going to be flying the winner of the very first knock on zero zero one serial numbered bow the details of how you're going to win that are going to be coming up here within the next few weeks but i'm going to fly the winner of that there to get it and get a private lesson to kick off that event we're going to have a little private shooting lesson in the morning before the event kicks off and then we're just going to have a massive parking lot bash right yeah i mean it's going to have I mean, if you have never been to Austin, Texas, that's what we do really well, and it's <laughs> going to be—it's fun. It's going to be—it's uh, going to be really, really fun. And, and again, to, to we, we, you and I have talked about this. It's—it's—it's it's, it's your style, right? Like, let's make it informal. Let's have a good time. Let's enjoy each other. Let's get to know how to how to have enjoy and enjoy the hobby that we love of archery, right? Like, so there's a lot there's a lot to be said to to that. And I mean, I think we're really excited about what you have going forward. And we wanted to, we wanted to also, I don't know. I think we wanted to put that out to our, our community the right way. And the right way to do it in Austin is to throw a big parking lot bash. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. 
So that's what we're going to do, and it's uh, you know, so we're still ironing out some of the details, but most of it's um, already ironed out, and you know, we're going to be like I said, we'll put some stuff out there. What's awesome is we'll have all the NTN bows that we um, ordered at ATA will be in, and so we'll, get, well hopefully you know, new have, ones. I, the ones you ordered the ATA, they're probably shipping here pretty soon, but those ones are going to be uh, probably gone by March fourteenth. <laughs> I would yeah. guess. Well, we yeah. We, we prepared ourselves because we, you know, we have a lot of people coming in asking about that bow already. And, you know, so, but like I said, it's, it's just about, it's about community with us at Archery Country. And I think it's the same from the knock on nation standpoint. So it's just bringing those communities together and, and enjoying a night of, and, and having a good time. Usually when we do that, it, it tends to, tends to be pretty, uh, pretty crazy and fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a good time. One of the things that, that uh, we haven't really talked about, that PSE was so adamant about and amazing, honestly, about getting these bows out on the market. Um, the, we haven't, the, the, the actual labels and the packaging for the quick stand stick kits hasn't come in yet. So some of these first bows are going to be out there without that, but hopefully in the next, uh, in the next, two to three weeks or so we'll be able to to get the the first quick stand kit sets out to dealers too um to be able to to be able to have that so it's it is ramping up fast i can't it's almost like like i said at this point this freaking roller coaster is going you better just like i just got the freaking top thing like ratcheted down my, around my shoulders and i'm just grabbing on and you know it's time to time to freaking party because yeah we've got uh i've got an event for for five veterans the weekend before that uh and then i've got you guys then we're going to be rolling into you know some turkey hunts and some events that i'm going to be doing for some of that stuff we've got a a huge bow building event that i'm going to be doing with some of the knock on nation members uh just prior to that launch then we've we're going to be having uh the total archery challenge the first one in in texas which is going to be a massive event huge veteran event because that's going to be one yep. of the big ones that i'm doing with uh black rifle you guys as well yeah, um we'll be there. and then yeah then i'm rolling into to bear camp and then pennsylvania tack and a big store event at lancaster archery and yeah it's just it's going to be a mile a minute like probably you know honestly starting off as soon as we start building these first ntn bows for for the nation members uh in 21 days i've got i've got a full crew that are going to come here for a big bow building extravaganza and that first batch is going to ship out to my close friends and so forth and then then we're strapped in and it's freaking full speed ahead till August when all these tax are done and store events and everything else would be awesome. <laughs> it's funny. The more you talk about it, it's like the 30% of you is scared shitless and then the 70% is like, let's go. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, scared shitless I mean, hey, got man, left it's back Olympic at the gear. station. My calendar looks the same. So it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's just the fun of it, man. You got to enjoy, enjoy the ride. Right. And, and be a hundred percent present. I think that's what this, this whole talk was about. So yeah. Well, if well, you're we're excited about March, man. Oh yeah. You make sure if you make sure if you don't have an Instagram account, you got to get one. Um, make sure you follow knock on TV and make sure you follow 
uh, archery country. What's your official? Is it just archery? It's country? at arch. It's at um, archery. It's at archery country. Is Instagram? Is our Instagram? Yeah, I was gonna say you guys like actually grabbed yeah, archery country. So yeah, so just archery country, and we'll be making some posts and some announcements uh, about the event. But more or less, it's gonna be a big event, big sales, big bash, big barbecue. Uh, big just a f- good time, man. That's the yeah. thing. I mean, everybody that comes out is like it's it's always it's just a it's a blast, man. Oh it's yeah, really really fun to be at. Yep. No problem. Well, dude. Good luck with uh, all your endeavors too. Big year for the big Olympic year. Uh, sounds, sounds freaking, sounds amazing. Sounds like we've got yeah, some a, some uh, U.S. freaking bullets in the water too. It's a it's a young it's a young team, and I think uh, I think you're going to see some new faces. So and they're they're it's awesome. The culture's strong with them, and they're just like. They're eager to rip people's heads off, and I think that's going to be real. It's really going to show through the TV and how they compete. Like they're gritty, man, and it's really, really fun to watch. So, it's going to be an exciting summer from that standpoint for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, dude. I'll uh, I'll see you soon. Knock on everybody. All right, buddy. Thanks. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>